Do you know where the f you are? You're in a gimmick, baby. You're gonna die. Welcome to the Flick Lab. I'm Kari. He's Henrik. And that that must be one of the kind of weirdest openings you have ever produced <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> like I, I I've been doing this podcast with you for half a year at, at now and. I have no fucking idea what you were just trying to do there. <laughs> what, what, what is the implication? Guns and roses. Well, that really does explain why it flew completely past me. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Henrik, Henrik, Henrik. So it just so happens that we had one guest from Greenland who was about to join us, but unfortunately a fishing trawler had broken the high-speed internet connections to that particular town. Still makes me laugh, I, even today, even, even though it, at that point it's two weeks old. Old news, yeah. but, but you know. And as far as we know, these connections are still broken. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, no, no. I, I, I'm not laughing out of spite, but... That that's that that is one of those instances which you completely forget about when you are living in Finland. Yeah. Stuff that like that actually can happen. There is no plan to be offensive in this podcast, but I just have to admit that that's kind of entertaining. I will also try to have a second guest who would not have these internet limitations to this show, but unfortunately something happened and. Due to unforeseen circumstances, we are indeed without a Greenlandic guest talking about Inuits and Greenland without a Greenlandic guest. I'm actually quite surprised that this is something that has not happened to us sooner in and this podcast. And you are right. Yeah. You are right. We have been quite lucky so far, I would e- say. Extremely lucky, seeing how we all, at this point, we are working Across the country lines, the two of us are now in separate countries doing this podcast and all our guests have come more or less from, you know, different circles. Let's start from there. Where are you recording right now? I'm still in Lapland. Not for many days. At this point I will soon embark. And what once again, have my next adventure with the Finnish railway system. I feel sorry for you. Yep, so so do I. More than you can believe, but still, at, at this moment, I'm still in Lapland. At least there's one guy who has tried to get into the mood and atmosphere of today's movie. I am in a warmer climate. It's already like 16 Celsius in Warsaw, Poland. I am looking for work here. I'm probably in the most expensive hotel in this goddamn city. Because this happens to be the best place to record right now. But you know, because the weather is getting much better. Maybe next week I'll be recording from the Wasienki Park. Outside. Who knows? But for now, let's enjoy the moment and the super expensive wine bottle. Henrik, 
what is today's film about? To me, it's about cultural heritage and growing up in a society that is actually going through sifting phase between old and new values. Yeah, Inuk is an Inuit people's name, but it's also the singular form for calling the people Inuit. So Inuk for a singular and Inuit for plural. But just to wrap our brains around this whole film, we should take a moment to talk about Greenland. <clears throat> or, the, or then most... Henrik, how much do you know about Greenland? Absolutely fucking nothing. <laughs> this is one film where I was very much counting on us having a guest. Yeah. Here with us, man, making making this episode because Greenland is is an area which you don't hear that often and not that much. It's also a country where there are societal troubles, where there is this conflict between the old and new ways of life, and they don't always mix up perfectly. As far as I've understood the situation, and because of all of this, it's a subject matter that deserves to pay proper respect towards the subject matter and what the situation is really like. But fear not, our listeners. Due to our devotion to this podcast, I am a Greenlandic person for this episode. That's an extremely problematic thing to say. <laughs> well, I learned something. I mean... <laughs> Hello, Nuanak Napihutit. Alright, I tried my fucking best. Give me a break. <laughs> it's it's supposed to be hello, nice to meet you. Uh, Greenland has a hundred percent literacy rate, has a polysynthetic language, which means in people's terms, sentence words, so to speak. So you can combine several words into basically one word, which is a sentence. And the orthography was extremely complicated before 1973, but after that the orthography was simplified, which boosted the literacy rates, Henrik. In Greenland, the language is called Kalalisut, which means Greenlandic. Well, as we are kind of a part and parcel traveler podcast <laughs> sometimes as well, <clears throat> history of Greenland has been inhabited at least for 4,500 years by people migrating from Canada uh, 1262 under Norwegian crown 1499 uh, the Portuguese briefly had a claim on the island and it's actually the world's largest island and fear not our listeners if you're thinking about Australia or Antarctica they are actually generally considered to be continental land masses and not islands we are nothing if not picky in this podcast Exactly. We are all about the facts. And it is rich in resources, Henrik. One of the highest shares of renewable energy in the world. Mainly hydropower. And mainly consists of people called the Inuits. As mentioned before, 88% approximately of Greenlandic people are Inuits. The rest are mainly from Denmark, so Danish. And the Inuits, as it happens, are the descendants of the Thule people. And Thule communities then broke apart, were then known as the Eskimo and later Inuit. And the thing about the term Eskimo, the word Eskimo is kind of 
considered derogatory in Greenland at least because the problem with the word arises because it kind of refers to indigenous well circumpolar inhabitants in Siberia and Alaska and Canada and Greenland so it doesn't specifically refer to people from Greenland or the Inuit people and secondly it originates from the Algonquin people of the North Americas who used this term to refer to their northern people as Eskimos. So be careful when you go to Greenland for your next coffee trip. You know, please call them Inuits. I suppose it's fair to talk about the social issues already because this will be touched upon in tonight's film. Unfortunately, Greenland has the highest suicide rate in the world. High unemployment, HIV problems and alcoholism. Sound familiar? Yeah, it happens in Finland as well. In extremely large quantities. Yeah. So there's been a lot of issues regarding identity and independence. This is a extremely big topic in Greenland. Greenland has been under the flag of Norway and very shortly controlled by the Portuguese. And also now they are basically still under Denmark. Although, although in the last 40 or 50 years there has been a lot of changes in the law more favorable for autonomy of Greenland. And basically Greenland already has, I would say, like a large proportion of control. Except Denmark still has a control of the police force and natural resources. So still we can talk of a one country and two systems type of arrangement. About one-third of the people live in the capital Nuuk. And this is where the story of the film starts. This film, I think, Henrik, is essentially about the Greenlandic identity and touching on the Greenlandic roots, showing what it's all about. That was also my take with this film, more notably. Yeah, that's great to see. And But at the same time, I don't think it, this film is being like typecasting Greenlandic people. I mean, you still see the modern life in Nuuk, so to speak, but also respect for the traditional ways of hunting, for example. Nothing wrong with that, especially if you're in such a location, especially if like, all of the people live on the coast, basically, then it makes perfect sense. Uh, to me, the film kind of showed up in the light that it's actually extremely critical towards the more modern Greenland and, for example, cities like Nuuk, and is more in favor of the more traditional hunting lifestyle. The film essentially, at least to me, made the case that Greenland is very much suffering and losing its own identity and instead of embracing the more modern world it should actually try to uphold and live by these old lifestyles and old values like hunting. You might be onto something here Henrique because uh, the story starts from Nuuk which is kind of seen as the place of conflict, the problem of alcoholism and all this depicted right there and once we move into Umanak <laughs> then things start to fall into place because well not really I mean this film is very documentary 
style, as you have noted, Henrik. I mean, that there is a lot of issues that are never being solved. For example, the family factor. There is the fact that Inuk is in the children's home and they just have a little side trip to go hunting. But but the aspect that he is in the children's home is not solved. It is maybe in the sense that I'm not sure how the film actually ends, but the way I took it was that Inuk ends up leaving the children's home and instead stays with Ikuma, who becomes the new father for him and... You're right, yeah. Yeah, takes on this hunter lifestyle at the end of the film. Yeah, well, we get to the specifics later when <clears throat> we get to the scene by scene. So there is apparently a children's home in Ummanak. Uh, it's situated about 500 kilometers north from of the Arctic Circle, and it's the source of inspiration of the two writers. Director is Mike Magidson, has previously made two documentary films about Greenland with a bunch of other people, and st- shooting already started and commenced in April 2008 in Ummanak Bay and in Nuuk and finished in November of the same year. Which is interesting, Henrik, because this film was already showed in some unfinished form in a bunch of festivals or events, and the premiere in Greenland was only in 2012. I heard about the same thing, that a lot of the festivals where Inuk was met with praise and given a lot of accolades, but the film was still kind of a work in progress and was not yet finished movie. Yeah, so in essence this making of the film took like five years. And if you go by IMDB, it shows that the movie is finished in 2010, but as far as my understanding goes, it basically is only finished in 2012. I was selected as an entry for the 85th Academy Awards, but didn't make the final shortlist. Got the Best Film Award in 2012 at the Byron Bay International Film Festival. Do we have something about the cast and crew? I have mainly about uh, Ole Jürgen Hameken, who's playing Ikuma. He is the most well-known kind of actor, person, appearing yeah. in, in, the, in the film. Mostly the entire cast is comprised of people to whom Inuk is the first and only movie they have ever worked on. Which is quite interesting when you compare it to the films we have previously seen where there have been at least a few big names in the crew. And that that is something that is completely lacking in Inuk. Did you find any other credits for Ule or do you also understand that this is his only film? He did appear in one episode of a documentary TV series named Arctic, which I myself have not seen, unfortunately, but I've come into the understanding that it was five episodes long and aimed to present different Arctic nationalities and the people living in different Arctic areas like Greenland, Siberia, Alaska. Yeah. I don't know how prominent role Ule had in the episode where he was featured in, but outside of that, that episode outside of Inuk, Ule himself does not, at least as far as I've understood, he does not have 
film experience. He's, I guess he's more of an environmental and and Inuit activist. Yes, indeed. It's, he's kind of an explorer and activist, I would say, foremost. And born in 1956, in 2007 he participated in global warming duck sled expedition. So he has that, that kind of things going on. And he is an advocate of traditional Greenlandic arts, preservation of dog sledding and historical hunting techniques. You can see where this is going. So Ikuma is playing the main hunter of this film and it's easy to see how he would feel very comfortable in this role because he's doing exactly what he is doing. And then we have, uh, of course, uh, Gaba Petersen is playing Inuk. It is his only film as far as the records go on online. There is uh, Inuk's mother played by Elizabeth uh, Skoda, also her only film. I like her character. She seems very loving and caring type of a very motherly person in fact. But um, we'll talk about that later. There's some things that should be noted. Then there is Sara Lübert as Naya, the kind of the romantic interest of Inuk. Also her only film. So, you know, a lot of inexperienced people here. And there was a notion said that there was uh, some considerable tough moments during the making of this film. And you're in Arctic conditions with an inexperienced group of people. But as far as I know, there's not much of uh, credits to talk about. Even for the director, he comes more of a, like from a, a documentary background, which explains, again, the documentary-esque look of this film and the story development in itself. I think it should be raised as a real case that Greenland has had a lot of struggles, not only because of the colonization and control from Europe, but also there was a really weird case that uh, there is this uh, ethno-historian and geographer physicist who is now 96 years old called Kukku. No. So, as I was saying, when the technique went to hell... Once again in this podcast. <laughs> in the film's credits, in the special thanks, you have a mention of Jean Mollory, uh, born in 1922. I have no idea if I pronounced it correctly, but I like to make fun of French names. Ethnohistorian, geographer, physicist, writer, 96 years old. He did do some legendary expeditions to Greenland and did a lot of good stuff for the country. In the 40s and 50s he did some expeditions, for example, in May 1951 he became the first man ever to reach the geomagnetic North Pole. And shortly after that, in the next month in fact, in fact, in June 1951, he discovered the US military base, the Thule Air Base, built in secret to host nuclear bombers. He did publicly stood up against it since because the local population was in, in no way consulted about these actions. This is a good remark to make regarding the struggles of the Greenlandic people. Not only the colonization, but secret nuclear bases, apparently. He also was a UNESCO Goodwill ambassador for Arctic polar issues. Apparently he gave some consultation for the film crew. Probably like a location expert for, for this film, more than likely. Anyway, Henrik, would it be scene by scene? Oh, I guess that would be a natural course to take. Hmm. Well, if you insist. 
I do, since we most definitely are not going to dwell anymore in the social issues of Greenland. Why not? My favorite topic. <laughs> well, we are we are still trying to, you know, push under the rock that that Serbia episode. So let's just not push our locks. Something good to know that at least in my German release of this film, which which only has a German audio track, the original audio track, thank God, and no English subtitles whatsoever. So we had to go to extreme lengths to get some kind of English subtitles for this film. And well, anyway, we'll get to that. But the starting titles give us a quote. Once again, Jean Malari, actually. The quote is, using Google Translation from German, <laughs> In recognition of the eternal struggles that the Inuit had to endure, may the future of these true children of nature be as glorious as their heroic past. End quote. And so we start the film. Henrik, we're in Greenland. How do you feel? I've never seen a Greenlandic film in my life before. I guess this is my first Greenlandic film also. No, it's very epic, Henrik. I, I am aware of, of at least one other Greenlandic film that delves deeper into the whole social issues, even deeper than this one. Okay. Well, what film are you talking about? Well, we might have to check it later. But here we have uh, the mother of Inuk caressing Inuk in the sled. Yep, the sled. You know, I don't know if this is kind of getting into the unbelievable zone, this film, right off the gate, because we have the father of Inuk trying the water, so to speak, and it takes like a couple of minutes, it seems, and he's already underwater and dies, seemingly, apparently, completely unprepared for the wilderness. Ah, uh, yeah, and this comes from a character which later in the film is noted as being this legendary hardcore hunter. Yeah. <clears throat> And his name is Kiviok. But this is kind of the running theme with the hunters in Inuk. That there is Inuk's father, there is Ikuma, both noted as great hunters of the land, and both end up actually doing the same stupid mistake. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you can see kind of the inexperience of the actors. Well, it seems like that because Inuk really doesn't genuinely seem to give a damn about the incident. He, well, he's young. He, of course, thinks that the mother can take care of the situation, but as the story shows, not so much. And we got to the present-day Nuuk, the capital of Greenland. And the friend of Inuk gives the headphones, or if not the headphones, at least gives the, gives the song that he has been working on for Inuk and I take it that it's the song that plays now in the background when they're in the bus, when he's in the bus. Some of the fears that we have had about this film, at least for my part, was that I was wishing that it would not give a simplified view of the Greenlandic life. You know, of course, we live in a capitalist society and uh, kind of the life is starting to look pretty much the same everywhere around the world. And fortunately, I don't think Inuk is making that kind of case that that it would give a simplified view. It's more like we get the view of Nuke, kind of this uh, capitalist usual lifestyle, and then we got uh, to the other town. I don't know, I on my end, on the other hand, think that this is somewhat simplistic presentation of the issue that the film does give us. It could be. 
Yeah, Inuk makes the fast case that life in Nuuk is pretty depressing. It quickly shows you the societal troubles, the alcoholism. Even the song does the case that, that, that life is very simple and there's not, nothing else left to do in Nuuk. Yep, and the backgrounds of those social issues are, well, in my mind, not really studied that deeply. It is quickly shown to you that this is Nuuk. And these are some of the issues that the Inuit population has to face living in Nuuk. But for example, any kind of a deep understanding where the social issues stems from and what are they result of is not really given to the audience outside of the quick notion that, that the Inuits are losing their touch to their old cultural heritage and they are losing the nature connection. They are becoming urbanized, and urbanization is something that does not quite fit well for them. But that yeah. really is the only explanation you are actually given to any of these societal troubles which are shown in the film. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, things opened and very little resolved. But I think it's important to touch on the topic that they have had their traditional ways, and there has been these cases of colonialization that have tried to denmarkisize the life of Greenland to the extent of losing the original way of life. And even though a lot has changed, I think there is value to be found in those traditions. And I think uh, just in this film Inuk is making the case that roots shouldn't be forgotten and there is still quite a lot of actual value to be found, like economically and I'm not sure, but it could be that the actor of Ikuma, Ule, wants on his part to make the case that some of the traditional ways of hunting are more preferable than the new ones. I would agree that that is something that the film very much implies. Yeah. My take on Inuk as a film was that it made the case that living by the traditional values and upholding the traditional way of life would be mentally and spiritually the healthier option for the Inuits. Because Inuk himself as a character in, in the film seems to become more stable and seems to kind of be able to transcend past his past problems as he comes more in touch with nature and more in touch with the old ways of life, like hunting. To spoil the entire film right away here at the very beginning of the track, the final conclusion of the film is that Inuk finds happiness in the act of becoming hunter with Ikuma and this way completely stronging that separation to the urbanized way of life. We do have a couple of shots of the supermarket here. It's a Bruxenia, it's a supermarket chain originating from Greenland. There is some line pixelization in the image in the DVD that we have. At first I thought that they're shooting it with some Low resolution digital camera, but no, as you look further, no, that's not the case. But something went a little haywire with the encoding of the picture. I on my end have to confess that I did not notice that before you actually made the remark. Oh, I think it's most noticeable when you have like huge wide landscape shots and the mountains have a lot of detail and then the pixelization starts to appear. But we go to Politi Gordon, 
apparently it's an office where it's uh, relevant to discuss issues of raising up a child and uh, it's uh, discussed that because Inuk has in his home environment a lot of problems as we saw now the mom and the Inuk have to discuss the situation what to do about the future of Inuk and I'm not sure let's hear it what language is this woman speaking but it seems to me that well I guess it's Danish that was my guess when I first saw the film yeah the logical conclusion would be that the woman is speaking Danish and uh, it's translated to Greenlandic for Inuk who doesn't speak Danish and I also am getting the notion that the lady herself on the other hand does not speak Greenlandic so basically there has to be a two-way translation going on so now Inuk is taken to Umannak flight starts from Nuuk he has to leave all his friends behind and kind of start a new life at least for now and he gets the headphones from his friend as a gift and to be more in touch with the documentary style and the film's habit of kind of just dropping off the plot threads as the movie progresses. This is kind of the first example where you see that happening in a major scale since this is the last shot you actually get of Inuk's mom in the rest of the film. Yeah. When it comes to the themes of the dysfunctional family and the fa- family relationship, the relationship between a mother and a son and maybe making amends between the two like you would have, for example, in a typical Hollywood film where you would later get the scene where the son would meet once again with the mother and they would kind of both acknowledge where they have been in the wrong, in their own personal ways, and then kind of make amends and come into some kind of a resolution in the relationship shared between the mother and the son Inuk, on the other hand, as a film, completely drops the subject right here and now. Yeah, I guess you could make the conclusion that he still has his mother, but kind of gets a new father figure from Umannak. Yeah, then again, when you look at how the scene kind of is constructed, from Inuk's perspective, Inuk very much gets the impression that her mom does not come to the airport at all, since Inuk never actually sees his mom arrive to the airport. He's already boarded the plane before mom gets to the airport. So Inuk's mom arriving to see her son take off is a notion that Inuk as a character never gets. In Inuk's perspective, his mom never actually saw it necessary to come to the airport to give give that last goodbye. And, well, that very much could tie into the Inuk's eventual decision, kind of abandon Nuuk and the urban cityscape and instead choose to live as a hunter in the wilderness. This is what I kind of touched upon earlier, that you have Inuk's mother who looks like a really loving and a friendly person and during the drinking scene when the father is trying to beat Inuk up, it seems that the mother is quite indifferent to the proceedings. Uh, so I'm a little bit lost with this character. Or So is the indifference or perceived indifference only due to the fact that uh, she is very scared of the father at the house or 
Is it just pure indifference or is it a combination of both of them? I would take it that that is the case of alcoholism that has probably gone on for a few years. Or is it just a lack of direction in the acting? Because maybe the, the actor is not sure how to portray this character. I, I wouldn't necessarily ma- um, say that. Because Inuk's mom's incapability to come into the defense of her son in that scene is later on in the film contrasted with Ikuma telling Inuk what kind of a person his mom has been before. Yeah. Ikuma makes the case that Inuk's mom at least used to be extremely brave in a way when he tells Inuk how his mom alone in the end took Inuk to the hospital. Yeah, that is a really heartwarming scene in the sense and goes to show maybe the tight community around those parts uh, because Ikuma is at all able to know this person and then to just randomly discuss about unbeknownst to Ikuma he's talking about the father of Inuk and the mother of Inuk and when you take that the later scene and then you know put it side by side with the drunken dad scene it makes the case that the mom you see in the film is a different person than the mom Ikuma tells about I took it that, that that is kind of a showing the results of alcoholism and what it makes for the person in a long run. Yeah, these landscapes that we saw when the helicopter was flying around and getting Inuk to the town, I think it's 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 really breathtaking and for many of its parts it's something that generally you really don't see in films and it's it's a great connection it's it's great to see something like this it's something really really special because obviously there isn't much of greenlandic movies to see on the television the landscape shots in the film really are something to to look upon uh-huh. and i would say that that is where the documentary background of the filmmakers most notably shows that and the way how the story is constructed yeah there are some a little constructional problems i would say even though it's trying to be this very documentary-esque film but we will get to that later when that moment pops up but here we are making the case that the hunting crew is not exactly excited about taking the children for a little trip but once the monetary benefits are put on the equation they are more forthcoming and this makes Ikuma able to buy the new gun that he has so craved for. I like how the, all the different houses in many Greenlandic villages, or I guess all of them have different colors. One house is green, one is orange or red or something like that. Gives a very distinct and original feel. But perhaps this is also something that you see in, uh, in parts of Denmark, for example or Scandinavia, for example, the north of Norway. I'm looking at the scene where Ikuma is trying to hit the metal can, but he's having some problem with his current gun and tries to try another gun, but he's not able to indeed just buy it yet. These shots remind me of the beginning of the film and the cinematography of this film. Do you feel you have something to share about the cinematography? 
was there something that was quite not that that was maybe a little bit distracting sometimes? Not in this scene. Yep. The problem I had with this scene, the scene where Ikuma goes to look for a new gun, is that I never quite came into grasp with the fuck the whole gun thing is supposed to be all about. <laughs> Ikuma has a difficulty of taking the shot with his old rifle. Takes it to the shop owner who makes the remark that there is nothing visibly wrong with the rifle. So basically the rifle should still work perfectly fine. And later on in the film it, it is shown that it still does indeed work. Like there is nothing physically wrong with the rifle. And so it kind of left me completely wondering what was the actual point behind the rifle malfunctioning outside of giving Ikuma the physical need to take up on the offer of taking the kids from the youth home to this hunting trip with him so that, you know, he could get the monetary benefits and buy himself a new rifle. It's a bit confusing, but maybe the point was to show that Ikuma is gaining a bit age and maybe has weaker vision and therefore might need some newer blood to take over the, the fish business. And that's where Inuk pops in. Yeah, now, now, that, now that you say, say it out loud, yeah, that, that could very much be what, what they were aiming at. And I completely just missed that point. Because I was actually expecting the whole thing kind of going on in a sense that Ikuma eventually decides not to buy a new rifle and instead sticks with his old weapon and we would kind of get enforced notion of this going by the old ways and rejecting the modern technology, in this case in the form of a, of a new rifle and with a scope. Ah, okay. Well, like that was what I was expecting the the film and the scene to do in the end. But like no, that that is something that does not happen in the film. Instead, the film takes completely a different road where Ikuma actually does get himself a new rifle and ends up using it. Yeah, when it comes to the whole storyline, I jumped into this film without knowing really anything about the whole whole story, what this is going to be about. And all the way up to the moment when Ikuma is discussing with the children's homes lead what to do, would they be able to, would they be interested in introducing some kids for their journeys. Up to that point you can still expect some kind of a linear, uh, the, the usual three-act structure for the film. But, well, you could say that it has it, but... Yeah, it kind it's, of it's, has it's, it. Yeah... But still... But it's not very strong one? Yeah, and I'm still not sure, I'm kind of undecided if it's if that's a good or a bad thing. I mean, I love this kind of a documentary approach, but there are a lot of storylines that this film kind of starts, but never drives into completion. For example, the alcoholism at home, the relation to the mother, maybe even the relation of Inuk to Ikuma. Yeah. I mean, they go hunting, but they have, I think, some kind of tension because of this drunken incident once again. Yeah. And there's also the storyline of the girlfriend, which is just kind of dumped, which makes sense in the universe if if it's just kind of used to emphasize that, okay, there are more important things than love in Greenland. 
Yeah, and it, it does make sense in in the documentary feel of the film, but it is not a typical viewing experience in that remark. The film dropping quite a lot of plot lines is most notably, it, it is a stylistic choice. The film makes that on a purpose in, instead of simply due to incapable filmmaking. But it is something that it creates this a different type of a feel to the entire film. I'm not saying that they are even problems downright, since they are all a result of a artistic choice from the side of the filmmakers. Yeah, I think it's well shot. But I don't know if it's just me, but it feels like there are a lot of close-ups of the similar size. Like you pointed out earlier, maybe that, that's the thing that kind of makes it feel like that we have a lot of continuous shots that are of the same size. It's not really a problem, but uh, I can see that. Yeah, and something I also noticed was that it, it looks like they are using uh, extremely a lot of handheld cameras throughout the film. Like it, it's more handheld than camera rigs in use in Inuk. Yeah, kind of a documentary technique. Of course, we have to understand that the budget was probably very, 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 very limited. But um, it can also work as a powerful tool when the camera is in constant motion. So in that sense. Uh, it can. Low budgets can actually be something that makes your film more powerful. And they may even be an artistically driving force behind the filmmaking if you can work around those obstacles in an innovative way. Yeah, I'm a bit surprised that they haven't used uh, the Greenlandic landscape more in films because obviously there could be logistical challenges, budget challenges, but goddamn, there's a lot to see in these landscape shots. We have a little bit of conflict with the Ikuma and, and the teacher, I believe. And the teacher does make the notion about you should treat Inuk as like... Well, what is being called upon from Ikuma is that he would treat Inuk in the same sense that he would treat the son he has lost. Could be. Yeah. Have you gone dog sledding, Mr. Henrik? Uh, no. It, it's uh, surprisingly it's something that is not often done in Finland. Yeah, actually. We have lost our traditional ways. I, I would kind of say that uh, dog sledding never was a traditional way in Finland. Okay, it was a traditional Sami way. Uh, yeah, that, that more notably than traditional Finnish way of life. And when it comes to these indigenous groups, it's easy to lose these groups in the northern parts of Finland and Scandinavia because they are inside the same country but Greenland kind of stands a little bit on its own because it actually has its own landmass, its own island which is mainly occupied by the Inuit people which is great I think people in other parts are kind of suffering in the sense of their lost parts of identity like the Sami people in Finland I think as small as this group of people is, it would be nice to even see more governmental support for these cultures. Now, of course, it's fantastic that we have like Sami news in the Ule television, governmental television, and things like that. But maybe more still needs to be done. I would 
to second that notion that more definitely needs to be done. It has yeah. been nice to see that today there seems to be a general attempt to actually fix the situation and there are steps taken to make certain that there is some enforcement of the indigenous peoples and their way of life and the cultural heritage that still does exist, thankfully. But of course there there is the fact that the damage that has been done uh, has been done for quite a long time and it has been quite severe. So in that sense, even though we now take steps in favor of enhancing the survivability of these indigenous ways of life and the cultural inheritance, there however still is quite a long road for us to take before we actually can say that we have secured them. You're right, and it's an interesting times, Henrik, where we have this capitalistic rage going on, and, and, and now when it's kind of structurally the hardest to defend this kind of minorities existence then we start to artificially protect them and I am not sure how far that will really go but given the fact that we didn't have for for example the Ule Sami news just a little while ago I mean it just might pick up maybe we get a cultural renaissance thingy going and uh, and uh, Finnish people all around Finland start to study Sami culture and language and who knows where it goes but I I like that we try to preserve diversity even though it's kind of done without monetary benefit. That it is and it it is done like you pointed out it it is done kind of partly we are enforcing some aspects while at the same time we are not really trying to push hard against, for example, societal structures. Like we, we, we exist now in a moment and in a place of time where we often make the remarks and make the notion about the importance of the indigenous people and their way of life and what they present and what they can give us in a cultural way. And we try to strongly enforce some aspects like, for example, in, in form of Sami news, at the same time that we, on a governmental level, also are endorsing mining prospects, we are endorsing drilling for oil, and other these capitalistic ventures that still actually happened on the territory of the indigenous people and happened on their expanse. Now I saw on the screen the name of the friend of Inuk that he was beating up but I already forgot the name that's the problem with Greenlandic names because I have trouble remembering this because they have no cultural connotation relation to me in any way shape or form here we have the scene where Inuk is getting the lesson from Ikuma you know, what to look at in the landscape that you see you know Inuk makes, makes the notion that he can only see ice and snow and misery and but <laughs> There's actually animals that are quite edible right at this moment. And this is making the point home for Inuk that, you know, you have to grow up, kid. You know, it doesn't make sense to be angry all the time. You have to control your emotions and make some seal pie for your friends. This will not go down well at all in Greenland. 
We can add Greenland to the list of many countries where we most definitely are not gonna be welcomed anytime soon. <laughs> we have to barricade ourselves inside <laughs> Finland. Yep. It, it, it comes to a point where we, the two of us, have to build a wall around Finland simply to protect us from the, any outside hostilities that may, might be targeted on us personally. Yeah, that bloody Schengen. But I think I see why this would not be chosen as the candidate, as the Greenlandic film of the 85th Academy Awards. Well, in fact, as I checked, there were no Greenlandic films to represent for Oscars that year. And I can see that because there's this tough topic about seals, hunting seals. And Greenland was part of the EEC, the European Economic Community, which later changed name to EC and was finally officially integrated into the EU, European Union. And the European Union or the EEC were not quite supportive of seal hunting. In, in fact, they were quite hostile towards it, which understandably will be a huge problem in Greenland. You know, you have to understand the location that these people are in. There's 50,000 people. And what is going to be your main export? And what is the main export of Greenland? It's over 90%. It is fish. You take that away from Greenland. How are you going to survive, Henrik? I mean, I'm all for the vegan food and I try to eat vegan as soon as, I, as, as, as much as I can. But you're starting to get structural problems in the cities where this is not viable at all. You cannot grow vegetables all around Greenland too to feed the mouths of the Greenlandic population. And I think this silence is that Henrik is going to simply skip this situation. <laughs> I, I'm trying to avoid the, t- touching the subject matter as hard as possible. <laughs> and then, but that is once again one of those conflicts that arise now in the more global societies that we live in, where there are situations like, for example, the situation in Greenland, and at the same time, the world around Greenland tries to be kind of a socially awakened and socially understanding and tries to very much push against, for example, you know, meat consumption and heavy fishing. It smells to me that... It is rather incredibly astonishing and intoxicating that the EEC were not able to make some amend some special arrangements for Greenland because obviously the, the seal hunting is not going to go anywhere. But so it just happened that in 1985 they broke ties. Henrik, would you go hunting with dog sleds for seals in Greenland? I heard that it's uh, the Greenland when it comes to the outdoor activities there's quite a lot of things actually to do perhaps the main interest for you would be to go hiking in the tundra basically the towns are surrounded by tundra but if you traverse further you will of course come in touch with ice i guess I, if if i would have to choose that could very much be the kind of chosen activity to do for me yeah supporting the greenlandic economy in no way in that in that sense. But do note, we are not a political podcast <laughs> in any way. Here is the m- moment where 
Ikuma makes the notion that your pants are made of polar bear. And that is kind of a good notion to make. That, well, of course, Greenland has like the capitalistic way of life, but uh, I would imagine that in rural areas or smaller towns it becomes incredibly handy to find every once in a lifetime a polar bear, which actually makes Inuk survive this throughout this film. Yeah, no, not only that, but Ikuma also at the same time makes the notion that the pants Inuk is wearing are from the exactly same polar bear that Ikuma was just telling the story how he shot it. And it kind of enforces the idea that in amidst the indigenous people and, and hunters like Ikuma, there is this stronger, more personal nature relationship where Ikuma can steal from all, all the similar pants that go around since everybody's wearing these white outdoor pants. At that time, Ikuma can still point out which pants came from that exact one polar bear? Yeah, in fact, I think it's important also to note that the Greenlandic people, the Inuit people, have a great respect for their sources of nutrition. So, there is a famous quote that I, of course, cannot find right now, that makes the point that the Inuit people have a great respect and understanding that the main source of their nutrition is coming from other souls. And all that soul hunting has to be done with the utmost respect. Not to leave anyone suffering needlessly. This is their main way of, of living and it's kind of their curse in that sense. But they understand that they need to respect these souls that are sacrificed for, for their well-being. So in what way does that actually then show up in the relationship? How Greenlandic people consume it? Like, do, do they approach it in the sense that they are also consuming the souls of the animals they are eating? And does that enforce the, their own souls? Or does it somehow make it mix the eater's soul with the soul of the animal? Any insight on that, based on the quotation? Well, there's a lot of Inuit myth mythology that I don't have time to jump into. But basically it was making the case that whenever you're hunting you have to pay the respect in the sense that you do your darnest that you will not give unnecessary suffering to your food but there's probably more more to that okay there's like a, a lot of shamanism beliefs that you can jump into an inuit mythology that will provide you all the answers that you want outside of this podcast once again, that not, not having that guest kind of a show shop. God damn, yeah. But the quote is, it's a customary Inuit saying, quote, The great peril of our existence lies in the fact that our diet consists entirely of souls. So, yeah. And it goes on to say that this is making the case that any hunt that failed to show appropriate respect and customary supplication would only give the liberated spirits cause to avenge themselves. So there is that. Well, that is quite a nice notion to make in comparison how animal life and meat is seen in more industrial societies. Like, for example, in Finland, where the notion about 
the life that has been lost in in order to, to have you know the package of meat in your local supermarket is not really given that much of a thought. Yeah. Now we're at the scene where it's made the notion that the father of Inuk was indeed the best polar bear hunter in the entire universe and unbeknownst to Ikuma he is talking about the father of Inuk and Inuk starts to reconsider his teenage views of his parents. Which in another film would in the end lead up Inuk kind of a coming into some greater realization about his parents and most notably about his mom and then you know lead into Inuk making amends and trying to fix the family relationship. Yeah, we never get a conclusion for that. Now also something to note since we are still kind of approaching the more documentaristic style of, of the film is that there really actually is that big of a conflict in the film as a whole. There are like two sources of conflict. The w- first one, which is the moment when Ikuma and other hunters are talking about how the ice is getting thinner and they are thinking about, you know, how, how they can cross that thin ice and get once again more up north where the ice would get more harder. That is a conflict that arises and is solved in 20 seconds a part of each other as the Ikuma makes the notion that they could take the land road on the parts where the ice is thin and this way kind of uh, go around the thinner ice and continue their way towards the up north. Then you are shown that, you know, the moment when they take that land route and uh, on that time in the film the background soundtrack kind of gets very upbeat, very heroic. In the same way you get in an average film where a major feat is performed and a greater obstacle is overcome. So the, the film gives you that moment but the obstacle they are actually overcoming and the feat that is being done in Inuk is that they actually take their sledges on a snow covered land and use that to subvert the thinner ice. Momentarily it's a little bit disturbing how little regard Ikuma gives to the children's group. Obviously, they have been paid to pay attention to these kids, but they seem to be utterly uninterested. But uh, Ikuma builds a special bond with Inuk, so he does learn it the hard way that you have to make this work. Fantastic landscapes. Just fantastic. Seems like a pretty weak hat for Inuk, a real light hat to be wearing in those conditions. Of course, we do not, do not know the moment of the year when this is happening, but the temperatures can indeed drop to minus 40 Celsius, and in parts can go a little bit to the plus side as well. There was one Nazi that was momentarily thinking of starting to get like a secret refugee place in Greenland, but he gave up those ideas and surrendered after the World War II. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, but that's kind of funny. Maybe he thought that the conditions are just too harsh, that it's better to spend 20 plus years in jail instead. I don't know, in that situation, I guess I myself would have just risked Greenland. Yeah, not sure what happened. He had the plan to go there with a small plane, but it never happened. He surrendered to the United States Armed Forces. His name was Albert Speer. Uh, Nazi architect. 
have very close ties to Hitler. He wrote a few books after he finally got out of jail and was very apologetic for all the horrific situations that happened. Always denied of having any knowledge of the Holocaust. Of course. Yeah, but the historians seem to suggest otherwise that he must have been aware of the situation of the Holocaust. But it's easy to see why you wouldn't exactly be accepting of the fact that you were aware of millions of people dying unnecessarily. Yeah, but so we arrived to the scene of the main conflict, I guess, in the film, which is Ikuma attacking Inuk in a drunken rage. Yeah, the ham-fisted moment. The most ham-fisted moment of the film, and this is kind of the scene which I had the biggest bone to pick when it came to the film, because... Me too. Kind of all the dumb skullness of the characters coming to a high point on this scene in every single way. Yeah. Yeah, not only is the scene itself very ham-fisted, but it goes pretty much against Ikuma's character in my opinion. The film does set up the plot point very early on in the film that Ikuma may be a recovering alcoholic or he may have an alcohol problem. And that does indeed come into a payoff here, but at the same time, Ikuma throughout the film is a seasoned, extremely experienced hunter who is also shown to know the problems he has with alcohol. So in in that sense, you know, the notion that Ikuma would take alcohol into a hunting trip when he goes into the wilderness. With children. With children, bear in mind, is kind of like, in my opinion, goes against the whole experienced hunter aspect of the character. And to be so drunk that you would be shouting such incredible stuff at Inuk. Yeah. And making the connection to your own child, it's... Kind of the uh, kind of other level of drunkness, really, right there, because there is no even prior connotation that we know of why this would happen. That it is, and there is also what we are actually shown Ikuma to have in the scene is one beer, which kind of begs the question: <laughs> what what kind of a twelve pack did Ikuma bring with him to the hunting trip? Seeing how they are actually limited in in carrying capacity since they don't have that much you know room for everything that they have to take with them to the trip to survive well that's because they have so many six packs already there for ikuma alone yeah i mean where did ikuma stash all the beer that you know he (laughs) would need to consume to get that level of shit face (laughs) yeah but this then launches the issue that Inuk having this all these flashbacks to his own family and the drunkenness right there with some kind of a stepfather figure that is in the house being drunk or some visitor to the house perhaps mother being kind of indifferent in this situation as it seems and now he sees the same situation and decides to escape the camp is having some existential problems already he lets the dogs go free so Apparently because he wants himself to be found, of course, and then as the last ditch effort burns the sledge and has some weird visions of what I believe is Ikuma, but with some weird face paint. This kind of never opened up to me what this is supposed to be. Yeah, I guess the film is 
trying to build up a scene with Inuk facing his inner demons and inner fears, which previously mm. have prevented him from connecting with other people emotionally. But I I think it is more of the uh, cinematic scenes in storytelling-wise and more drastically goes against the documentary style that the film itself has built up previously. And I think that is one of the lesser scenes of the film. Why do you think Inuk is now removing the polar bear suit and what's the significance here? Is it just I... that I don't understand it really? I could think of excuses, but... Outside of the possibility of Inuk kind of giving up mm. and trying to commit a suicide by freezing to death, <laughs> I really don't know what, what the aim is with, with that moment. Yeah. Like, like, that was my first take on what possibly might be going on when Inuk removes his winter gear. Other possibility, of course, is that at that point, Inuk kind of is on the final stages of hypothermia, which kind of paradoxically actually makes the body film incredibly warm, if not even hot. Yeah, so that okay. might also be what, what is happening in, in the moment. Once again, I think we have the answer. At the same time, even though Inuk would feel extremely hot due to hypothermia, but the logic behind the back of your head, of course, should say that no matter how hot you feel, you should not remove the protective clothing when you are outside on those temperatures. Yeah, maybe it was a Greenlandic suicide attempt. Yeah, or, or then it was, you know, just hypothermia and Inuk reacting to it, but it's very hard to say. And now, once again, against all the correct stages of rescuing somebody from the broken ice, Inuk just rescues Ikuma from the waters by just standing on two legs next to the hole instead of crawling next to the hole and then throwing some kind of a rope or other assistance to get him out of the water. Like his dad's whip, which was something that I actually expected that the film would pay off at this moment. Yeah. The dad's whip has been set up in the film previously, it has even been enforced, and I was actually expecting that that now comes to pay off in this moment. Inuk uses the whip to save Ikuma from the yeah. ice. So when it comes to saving some people from broken ice, please don't take Inuk the film as a recommendation of what to do in that situation. Or then do exactly that and prove that Darwin was right. <laughs> and magically Inuk is able to find his polar bear clothing again and they have some dramatic discussions. No, well, this is Ikuma explaining where his anger in the trunk scene stems from and finally opening up to Inuk. At least he thanks Inuk. Yeah, this is a healing moment for Ikuma. Yeah. Since I Ikuma also, like Inuk, Ikuma has previously been a character who has been unable to connect emotionally with other people ever since losing his wife and son. He never explicitly says that he is sorry, but at least he says thank you that there is now a reason for Ikuma to exist because of Inuk. I, I, I guess that's an, as good of an apology you are gonna get. And it also does not actually show a point where 
Ikuma, for example, would finally work over his alcoholism or, you know, let go of the booze. Meaning that that Ikuma getting drunk on a hunting trip may be a situation that may actually resurface on some unknown later point of time. Exactly. And Inu gets compliments for the figure that I suppose he has himself now carved to the form of that his mother would be making these carvings. It is kind of a Inu himself closing the route of returning back to the roots of his spiritual ancestors. Inuk kind of comes back into the whole carving of the traditional figurines from the bone. You're right. Yeah, starts to carry on the traditional ways of the Inuit people. Right. And now, in our moment of viewing, Ikuma shoots the seal, and it is Inuk's mission to go collect the seal from the ice. He runs towards the seal and the movie ends with this last shot of running towards the seal. Henrik, that's the film. Inuk. Uh, that it is. In many ways it was not what I was first expecting from the movie. Yeah, I was expecting a kind of a by the numbers Greenlandic traditional adventure type of a film. Which it sort of is, but isn't, because, as mentioned before, it doesn't drive to completion many of these plot points. So it's more of a documentary-esque film. And, I, like you, like you said, you kind of feel frustrated when you see the credits roll. You do a bit... To me it was, it was not a huge problem. No? Like, you know, it's okay once you get into the notion and the mindset of the more documentary filmmaking. But it most definitely was something that supervented my expectations of the film. I was expecting more of a traditional Hollywood-style storytelling. Yep. And I came to the film quite unprepared. So I, I didn't know what was in store uh, when I started watching it. So to me, it was kind of an awakening moment that happened during the film that I understood that what, what the film is trying to do. And it is going to be this more documentaristic style of an experience. And, you know, after that point, my intaking of the film kind of softened and I could get more better into the mood and into the atmosphere of the film. Mm. By the way, when it comes to viewing films, what is your preference, if any? Do you go into a, any film, preferably without any background knowledge, or as little background knowledge as possible, or do you want to read everything about it before you go in? It depends very much on the film and mm. how I'm going to see it. Mm. For example, when it comes to this specific Greenlandic film, I read everything I possibly could get my hands on on Greenland, but if it would come to like more basic Hollywood blockbuster action film, I might not read anything at all. Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah. My approach usually is, is the opposite of that. For example, in Inuk, I preferred to watch it completely on code and do the background researches and all the work, you know, after seeing the film. Mm-hmm. And instead, when I'm usually going to watch, and well, well, for example, a typical uh, Hollywood film, I usually prefer to 
get as many reviews and as as many analyses of the film in me before I actually see the film itself. It, oh, really? It's kind of a, yeah, yeah there kind of a comes into the play how long the film is, since time is a resource which I don't have indefinitely. So I kind of have to be try to be at least somewhat picky to not watch the worst trash that is out there. And especially yeah. if, if it's something that I I am thinking about catching on in the theaters, where you also have to buy the movie ticket. In that times, I often also try to get as much information about the film beforehand to be certain that it really is a film that I should see in the theaters. And it's, you know, see, buying the movie ticket is, would just not be a complete waste of my finances. Whereas in Poland, I don't have to care because I, I can have a monthly ticket and go to as many movies as I can. Yay! <laughs> I'm an asshole, sorry. No, but you know, uh, if you have uh, that kind of a happy situation in your life, of course you should actually take the full advantage of it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I usually like to go into a film quite cold. If I read any reviews, I probably might look into the film from that perspective and then kind of lose the enjoyment but it very much differs what I do from film to film in actual fact uh, the yeah the su- suffering of the enjoyment of seeing the film that is a real risk that plays into when you try to s- drive into the any given movie before actually seeing it yourself yeah especially some horror movies especially horror movies that, but then again you know there are bunch of horror movies that are so goddamn obnoxiously <laughs> stupid that you actually do yourself a favor when you spoil all the plot twists to you, uh, to you before seeing the film and then you actually know to best avoid seeing the film altogether. <laughs> like uninvited. Well, that uh, uh, actually very much is a case of a, such of a film. Yeah, but you know, things kind of twist and turn when you, when you see something like this as a kid you have a different perspective and memory on it and i think it still has something special to it like a cat that is murder, murdering people not so many times seen in a horror film i would say or any other film henrik let's move on shall we quick categories right uh, yep favorite performance of inuk i i guess this is kind of an easy pick and yeah yeah, I'm very certain that we are both on the same page on on this matter. Yeah, it, it would of course be Elizabeth Scott as as Inuk's mother. Oh, Inuk's mother? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I would have gone with Ule, which uh, which I'm going to do. Yeah, naturally, Ule, who uh, is the actor who. Uh, <laughs> Besides, you know, Gaba Peterson, who played Inuk, gets the most screen time and gets also most character development in the film. So in, in that f- sense, it, it is quite unfair pick. The movie very heavily relies on the two characters and their actors. What, what can you actually do in a situation like that? You kind of mm. have to pick either one of the two mains. You have to, and uh, you can see the inexperience in the actors and even in the lead actor, the Gob Pedersen, as Inuk. You can. Yeah, but on certain moments, you can also see that he's really trying to 
put his best into it. But for example, the scenes between Kaba Peterson and Sarah Lubert as Naya, maybe I'm just misreading. It's still fine. Well, favorite scene. Once again, going with easy picks here and something where, where it's easy to form your opinion. I guess the moment when they go around the thin ice by taking the land route, which is kind of the most Hollywoodistic scene in the film. With the camera angles and background soundtrack coming in on the full force and there being the, this triumphant feeling in an act that really is not nothing that special, but the scene is being built in very much in a Hollywood fashion. But it is also a style that does work very easily. And I, w- I would say that that is the easiest scene to pinpoint in the film. I would go with the scenes when Inuk is kicks or is basically basically leaves the family house to look for some kind of a refugee home for a while when the party gets a little bit obnoxious and he tries to find like a place to be in inside his friend's flat but the friend turns him down because they're having a meal and Inuk goes to the supermarket and is also turned down Perhaps it's you, just, you, the, just the fact like that I <laughs> no, but <laughs> no. Before you say anything, I guess I just like to spend time in Nook. Uh, the most I enjoyed landscapes was perhaps in Nook. N- not discounting the unbelievable landscape long shots that we have in Umanak, though. You like those cold and abandoned urban cityscapes? <laughs> Hard to explain, but I. I yeah. Now I can understand your choice, and I too like the scenes. I, I don't know if I'm coming to those scenes from the same point of view as you are. I wouldn't say they were bad scenes. I also like them quite a lot. Mm. Favorite quote? I, myself, I would take uh, the narrator quote from the early part of the film... There, for countless years we have survived by following in the footsteps of our ancestors followed in the ice. Or something like that, but you know, that's how it got translated in in the Google Translator. Yeah, I couldn't pick anything specific, but I think once again it's good to raise up the ethnologist, UNESCO Goodwill Ambassador to the Arctic, Jean Malari, with his starting quote that is added to the film. In recognition of the eternal struggles that the Inuit had to endure, may the future of these true children of nature be as glorious as their heroic past. <laughs> Favorite skill. <laughs> I guess the final shield shooting in the film. Yeah, I'll go with that. It's the most rememberable. And before PETA and other organizations contact us, just do know that we're coming from the horror movies, so we have kept this favorite kill category here intact, regardless of any film genre. So, first image that comes to mind. Yeah, uh, maybe one of those landscape shots following the group as they are making the road across the ice. Yeah, there's one shot that looks like it's taken from a drone. It's one of the first shots that when they start to enter the journey and you see this huge mountain behind the group as they are going with the dog sledges towards their big trip. And I would 
pick and choose that one. Well, which image best exemplifies this film for you, Henrik? I guess the landscape search. The landscape and the nature relationship is, in my opinion, what the film is most about. Mm. I would say once again the same image that I was describing right there. What took you out of Inuk? The later part, stupidity of Kranken Ikuma. Same here. Yeah, I, I was pretty strongly with the film. Was able to overlook all, all the dropping of the bloodlines uh, as an artistic decision from the parts of the filmmakers. And therefore I got extremely long into the film before I dropped out. But that one scene is something that was... At least for me, it was so goddamn baffling that at that point I just had to, you know, call it quits. Yeah. What pulled you into Inuk? I would name here your favorite scene, the nightly new cityscape shots. Okay. Yeah, I think the film had a little bit of more energy going on in, in the first act in Nuke and kind of lost it when they started their trip. Also, it might have to do with my expectations of going into this film, but I think it loses a little bit of steam right there. I don't know, yeah, I myself, I, I didn't feel it losing the steam, but there is a tonal shift that happens. Which mm-hmm. is very strong in the film. The, the nuke parts are very kind of... A, they are very hard and abandoned. That there is kind of this emotional dryness. The, the nuke scenes which are abandoned once they get into the wilderness. And in a sense, I myself, I didn't feel that as something that was negative. But I, at the same time, I can kind of understand that some audiences, it might come up as too extreme as a tonal shift. And too much out of, completely out of nowhere. And it could actually be something that could take people out of the film. Yeah, I really enjoyed the Nuke City scenes and I enjoyed the landscape scenes as mentioned prior. And... uh... It's a beautiful country. In that sense, I do not see a reason for you Greenlandic people for killing yourselves in such a high number. So please stop doing that. You have a beautiful country, great traditions and maybe some lacking internet connections sometimes. But please just just try to hang in there. And then again, social de- uh, depression, circumstantial anxieties are something that do not work quite that easily that you can simply get past them by acknowledging how beautiful your country is. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, there are a lot of possibilities. I hope that Greenland adopts even more internet-related workplaces and companies in these kind of situations, just like in small economies like Gibraltar. I think there is a high possibility to develop in uh, IT sector, coding, uh, application development. I hope you uh, there... find your ways. But they, you have also those mineral uh, quantities, so I hope things will turn out all right. Well, you know, you still have to remember that all those changes, they are very big. They take a long time to pull off. We are talking about societal change in entire Greenland and also if you want those coding jobs also a very strong 
infrastructural change. So it is something that will take years. Yeah, so it is. And scissors of sacrilege, Henrik. I guess I really would ask that Ikuma getting drunk scene from the film. You could play it differently. Maybe it could be played such that Inuk is not having much of a hunt success and then decides that this life is not for me and fuck you all and I'm going to escape this camp. Something like that. Yeah, or, you know, simply homesickness or simply feeling emotional drain from the societal problems which he has had to face off previously. Yeah. Inuk is a character who comes from a troubled home. And that is something that has very profound and long-lasting effects on person's emotional stability and psychology. That could have come into play in that moment instead of Ikuma becoming drunk. You, you could have tried, in my opinion, pretty much anything else except, you know, Ikuma finding beer from some place. Henrik, ham-fistedly... And awkwardly, I'm going to just copy-paste these two new, absolutely freshly new categories from another podcast. Totally shamelessly. So, please complete the sentence, Henrik. You really know you're watching Inuk when... You have an inexplainable drive to go outside. (laughs) When you see the breathtaking landscapes of the mountains and the colored housing. And another category. Three adjectives to describe Inuk. How, how the hell do I have to go first when you are pushbacking <laughs> me with completely new categories in, the, in this podcast? Uh, <laughs> okay, I, I will go I, first. I, 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 would, yeah. I would... Shut up, Henrik. Uh, okay. Breathtaking... <laughs> sorry, in, in, with all the love. Um, breathtaking, icy, ham-fisted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would take beautiful, strong, and nature-related. Was that three? According to my math, yeah. Okay, I'm losing my hearing in this podcast. All right, Henrik, would you recommend Inuk? I would. It's not the strongest recommendation I've given in this podcast. But, well, first of all, it, it is a Greenlandic film. There are not too many of those, and it's always good to subject yourself to new international cinema. So that, of course, is is the first easy reason to recommend Inuk. But I do feel that even with with the problems raised here on the episode, Inuk has something to say about the situation and the plight of the indigenous people and it has something to say about not losing the traditional values and not losing the traditional values I feel is something that we all could actually take a note from not not just indigenous people who of course have to, you know, kind of keep up on those values and ways of life to make sure that their culture is not forgotten and not erased. But, you know, even to an average Finn, to average Pollock, (laughs) I see a reason to actually remember the old values and in some part spiritually staying in tune with them. I'm, I'm not 
advocating us all to moving into a the backwoods and letting go of the urban way of life but I, I am saying that you maybe should try to have some kind of a balancing act where you still are an urban people and you are doing those coding jobs but you still in yourself in your identity you at least partly carry around the traditionality of your home country very well put. There are elements that we should not forget, and I would recommend Inuk. It has this ham-fisted moment with the drunken Ikuma. And, it and, does. Yeah. And it, it hurts. It fucking hurts when you reach that point. Yeah, it really raises from all the everything else. But uh, I enjoy the landscapes. Of course, that's not enough to recommend a film. But I do enjoy, as you, as you said, like the fact that they are which what this movie is about, so I'm just not aping or parroting what you just said. I, it's just how it is. This film is about keeping some kind of a, a little stronghold on your traditions and beliefs, because they might not just be something to throw away that easily. And at the same time, I don't feel that it's kind of anti-capitalism necessarily. I don't feel that it's necessarily against the city life. It's just finding the balance in between and, and celebrating your differences. It's a very documentary-esque film, for sure. I enjoy it, and you have to kind of remember that even more so when you get to the whole trip to the Arctic or, or, or to the ice, the dog sleds. But um, maybe it's also kind of the ignorance of myself of Greenland, but I just do enjoy this film quite a lot. Because of the simply of the beauty, and I applaud the effort. Very hard shooting situations and inexperienced crew, and still to land with such of a kind of a well finished product, like five years in the making. I raised my hat. I enjoyed it. I was a little bit, I don't know if disappointed is the, is the word, but at the end, I was looking for some solutions for some ideas that were brought in the film but they are not brought into conclusion but I guess we have to live with that I like Inuk but did you like the film Henrik? Did you like the film? Not only would you recommend the film because of the cultural values but did you like the film? I did it was kind of a work in progress liking the film as I saw it I, I didn't automatically get into the mood that, oh my god, this is a great film. And it wasn't exactly smooth sailing because there came moments where I did acknowledge structural problems, where I did acknowledge the ham-fistedness, and on those moments my my ability to like it kind of took a couple of steps backwards and... So it was kind of this, I like it, I like it, wait a minute, no, I, I like it still, wait, wait a minute, no, in the end it's very good film, kind of a situation, but overall I did like Inuk. Perfect. If you haven't noticed it, well, too bad for you, we are the Flick Lab, you can find it on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram. Henrik, it seems that since... Inuk got a little bit delayed. We are going to look at another international or worldwide cinema film next. 
It's going to be Uncle Boomy who can recall his past lives. Probably the longest title that we have ever had in this podcast. Next week. We'll be waiting for that one. I kind of hope that it is going to be an easier episode to pull off than this one. Hell no, Henrik. It's going to probably be the hardest episode we have ever had in this podcast. That that would kind of be staying true to the, to the tune of the podcast. But we'll see how it goes. <laughs> As these things go. Continuing is strongly here. <laughs> we'll see what we do. I mean, Uncle Boomy is extremely connected uh, to the cultural vibes of the rural areas of Thailand. And Thai spirituality, if I've actually understood correctly. And not only that, dear Henrik, it also dies very deeply into politics in this kind of a way that almost got the movie banned from film festivals because Thailand and its openness to the rest of the world and democracy. But uh, I said it right there. Fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. In fact, one of our possible guests, after extended period of discussions, kind of turned it down, even after my suggestion that he could appear in the podcast with a faked voice, but he still decided that it's not a good idea for a Thai person to comment on such of a volatile topic from Thailand, because he might get into trouble with that, so... Oh boy! Oh boy! My boss definitely a subject matter that is best left to be touched by two white Finnish guys. <laughs> yep, that's gonna happen most probably. Yeah. Until then, bye bye. <laughs>